HD, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I am so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Our topic is Ebola, the facts, and the fiction. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know the deal. Twitter, at Lisa Evers on Instagram, at Lisa Evers Live. We're going to be posting pictures from inside the studio right now. And we're going to be taking your telephone calls. We got a lot of telephone calls last week, a lot of messages, a lot of tweets, a lot of feedback and reaction from you with questions about Ebola because there's just so much information out there and it's very confusing and it kind of feels like maybe it's dying down, but is it really? So we're going to get some answers. We've got a great panel that's uh, going to help us work our way through this and try to come to some kind of understanding. But you can get in on the phones right now. Rose is on the phones taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's one 800 223 97. Are you confused about how Ebola is spread? Um, that's what a lot of people want to know because it was talked this week. The CDC put out information that admitting you could get it through droplets, as in sneezing. We're going to find out about that. Now there's last minute changes with the CDC. That's the Centers for Disease Control. They're the ones that set the standards and the guidelines that many doctors and medical and health professionals Uh, follow. So what does this mean? Like, where do we stand now? It seems as if the cases have kind of stopped in terms of the United States, but is that really the case? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about first responders, our EMS crews, who are the ones to answer the 911 calls of sick people and those people who are suspected of having the disease. We're going to find out what they're dealing with. We're going to find out about the nurses and also the latest medical research as well. And of course, taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797, 1-800-223-9797. On Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers Live. And let me in- introduce our panel to you. We have Dr. David Samadi. He's with the Fox News Medical A-Team, Chairman of Urology, Lenox Hill Hospital. Dr. Samadi, thanks for being with us. We Thank you, Lisa. It. Thank you for having me. Also with us, Israel Miranda. You've seen him on TV a lot over the last couple of weeks, um, He's but he's at the job. He's been at the job for a long time day and night. He is the president of the EMS Union. That's the Uniformed Paramedics and EMTs with the FDNY Israel. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here on your show and to share my thoughts with uh, all the Hot 97 listeners out there. And I also represent the inspectors for the New York City Fire Department. All right. We don't want to forget them either. Also joining us is Michael Sullivan. He's a New York City paramedic. He was part of that team that brought Dr. Craig Spencer to Bellevue Hospital after he started exhibiting symptoms of Ebola. And Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me on board. We appreciate it. Also with us is Lisa Baum. She's with the New York State Nurses Association. She is the occupational health and safety rep for them. And we're going to talk to her about the preparedness of nurses. But first, I want to go to the phone right now to Dr. Mary Travis Bassett. She's the commissioner for the New York City Department of Health. Dr. Bassett, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Good morning. We appreciate it. Good morning. Could you please tell us what is the state of Ebola in New York City now in terms of cases? Well, we have one confirmed case of Ebola in New York City. That's Dr. Craig Spencer, the young doctor who'd been working in an Ebola treatment unit in Liberia. And then in terms of that, the boy that was the Bronx boy, the five-year-old boy that was brought there, you said that it appeared he had some other type of respiratory disease. How is he doing? Oh, he's been discharged. He's home with his family. He did not have Ebola. 
and he is now home with his family. And then in terms of the number of people that you're monitoring, can you give us an idea of where that stands? Well, the last number that I had was um, something over 100 people, and that comprised of several different groups of people. We keep in monitoring everybody who had contact with our one confirmed case of Ebola, Dr. Spencer. Uh, That would be the people who transported him, the people involved in his care, running his laboratory work. Uh, We also keep track of uh, people who are arriving from the three West African countries of uh, Sierra Leone, Guinea and Liberia, or whose travel included those countries. Uh, to, together, it came, it's uh, something, uh, over, it goes up every day. Last number I knew was about 120. Um, Dr. Bassett, when you talk about the health department, the city health department, tracking people, what, what does what that, that really mean? mean to, That's yes. a really good question. So these uh, individuals are asked to, um, to report their temperature to the health department every day, and we actually have somebody who calls them up and they report their temperature to the health department. So these are people who are well, they're asymptomatic, and uh, we're just checking in with them out of an abundance of caution for the period of 21 days since they were last in a place that they could have an Ebola exposure to make sure that they don't develop a fever. Additionally, um, people in quarantine, we visited uh, once a day. A health department person actually goes there and measures their temperature, and once a day we, we get it reported by telephone. As the top public health expert in the city, what do you think about this issue of these 21-day mandatory quarantines for returning workers? The, uh, I think you're, return, you're referring to the, the fact that people arriving from JFK, uh, through JFK, who report that they've had direct contact and involved in the care of somebody with Ebola uh, would be placed in quarantine under an order of the state health department, and we are working with the state health department. All right, and I know I know nobody that has been. We have had no individuals who fit that that description. No cases like that. And then, in terms of the outreach, I know the health department has been doing outreach into various communities. If any of our listeners have questions during the week or the, or at any time, how, what's the best way for them to access the information that you all have at the health department? Well, we have a lot of information on our website. Uh, and uh, if people want to get information about Ebola, or they can call 3-1, the city's public access number. I I just want to say, if I can have a few minutes to your listening public, that uh, Ebola is not an easy disease to get, and I want to remind everybody that you only get Ebola from being in touch with somebody who's sick with Ebola uh, and through contact with their body fluids. The uh, likelihood of getting Ebola for an ordinary New Yorker is extremely slim. But people who've traveled to one of these three countries, which is tragically experiencing this epidemic and who get sick uh, within uh, the three weeks of their travel, really should see medical attention immediately. All right, Dr. Mary Travis Bassett, Commissioner of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, let's get to it. 1-800-223-9797. I'm going to try and take as many calls as possible. But Dr. David Samadhi, I want to start with you on this. The CDC this week issued these directives saying with little diagrams and little droplets being sprayed out of people's mouth that Ebola could be transmitted through droplets. What does that mean? So I think what people want to know is if if somebody has Ebola, if they're contagious, they're symptomatic, and they start like coughing or sneezing 
what happens then? So the droplets, they can probably fly somewhere between like three to six feet. And because it has a heavy weight, it's going to stay on a surface. And CDC announced that if, if there's a droplet with Ebola virus, it can survive for hours on surfaces. That's why the frequently touched surfaces should always be disinfected and be touched, all these doorknobs, tables, etc., computers. But when you talk about airborne, when you talk about influenza, you talk about, for example, you know, many other viruses, they can fly much further. If somebody will sneeze in this room, it can go for 20, 30 feet, and that's airborne. There is no real evidence today that can change next week or next month. Today, there's no evidence that this Ebola is really airborne, meaning that you know it doesn't behave the same way as influenza is going to be transmitted. The CDC is looking further to see if there's going to be any further mutation, whether this is going to change or not. But for people who are exposed to this, obviously, as, as a good doctor mentioned, uh, bodily fluid is the way that you're going to transmit it. And one of them is droplets. It can stay on the surface for hours. In, a, in blood or fluid, it can stay for days. And that's a big concern that people have. So this, the, these messages that are going out on social media that people keep bringing up to me, that it's airborne, airborne, airborne. I, I don't think public should worry about this at this point. But look, if you have an infected doctor or nurse flying out of, let's say, Brussels or Liberia, they're in the plane, and they start coughing and sneezing, and those droplets will be on areas in the plane. If you have a cut, a paper cut, if you have some abrasion in the skin, if there's some of those droplets that have the virus get through your skin, then you can get very sick. Ebola also has different contagious kind of viral load. The first eight to 10 days may not be as important. The second few days could be extremely contagious. And the last part of this, which is when they start to have vomiting, diarrhea, bleeding, that's when they're the most contagious part of the whole disease. And that's when you should be absolutely careful. All right. So let's go right now to Michael Sullivan. He's a New York City paramedic. He was part of the team that brought Dr. Craig Spencer Mm -hmm. to Bellevue. He is the, as we just heard from Dr. Bassett, the health commissioner, the uh, one person in New York with Ebola at this point. What was that like? We saw some of the pictures and some of the video of everybody in in those, you know, what we call the moon suits, the hazmat suits. I don't know what the proper term is for that, but... Well, it's personal protective equipment PPE, and clothing. that's what they that's call correct. it. That's correct. And I will tell you, Lisa, I have never seen uh, an exercise um, go so seamlessly and so calm. Everyone on board, we have... A, an, in the city of New York City, we are very fortunate to have an extremely highly trained uh, fire department and emergency medical services. And um, there is a unit of the emergency medical services called the HazTech Battalion, which trains and has been training since 2003 to deal with chemical spills, biological emergencies, radiation hazards, those kind of things. So having that kind of protective clothing, having the uh, Appropriate equipment and having good training kept the scene very calm and very appropriate. But what was going through your mind? I mean, you're there, or do you just go into kind of, you know, an automatic gear where you're doing your job and the training That's kicks right. in? Exactly. Muscle memory of the training. First of all, it's nobody. This is an extremely large team. We have officers. We have lieutenants. We have advanced life support. We have basic life support. All working as a team to get this person safely to the place that he needs to go. So everyone has a job assigned. Some people are suiting up in the uh, appropriate equipment to go in and actually encounter the uh, sick person. Some of us are outside setting the stage, preparing the ambulance, and preparing other equipment that's needed. And uh, our leadership 
performed so well that day, as did everyone involved. In it, the- went, it went very smoothly. Mm, okay, Israel Miranda, this uh, went smoothly. The EMS, the paramedics, the EMS handle about several thousand calls a day, you know, several thousand well, runs, well, I think. I call life. them the unsung heroes for many years. I mean, they answer 1.4 million emergencies a year, over 4,000 calls a day. Um, these hashtag units have been trained, like Michael said, uh, for a long, long time to respond to different types of hazardous material spells. This is just another threat that we had to tweak our current protocols mm-hmm. to be able to meet the demand to protect the citizens in New York and the employees given the service. What about if there are multiple cases? Because this was one, this was one suspected case. What about if there's a pl- you know, uh, hopefully it won't happen, but what if there are a lot of people that get sick all at the same well, time? Right now we have 31 ambulances citywide on any given time that are prepared and capable of answering the bell when it comes to one of these calls. When one of those calls comes You know, in- Lisa, I think part of the reason why also these guys are prepared, besides the fact that they're heroes, it also happened about a month and a half after all the mistakes that was made in, in Dallas, Texas. And I think, you know, the good news that comes from this, whether it's on the nursing staff or doctors or EMS and firefighters, is all of these lessons are being incorporated in what we're doing today, mm-hmm. and that's why we're getting better and better. No question that we all live in New York, and they should be all commended for what they do. Well, All right, I, let me bring in one of the nur- the nursing representative here, Lisa Baum, with the New York State Nurses Association. We did see those nurses in, in Dallas be exposed to this in, in ways that they didn't feel they were properly protected. How do you feel about the nurses in New York and New Jersey? Well, it varies by hospital. At Bellevue, they have spent months preparing for this eventuality and we're very prepared when it began it's a very complex process it's very labor intensive Um, the care falls heavily on nurses and we worked very closely with our public hospital system in the city and particularly Bellevue to make sure that nurses were ready and that they would be protected and the patient would see receive the proper care Every hospital is different in its readiness, and some hospitals took a long time to start taking this issue seriously. They're beginning to step up to the plate, but um, only Bellevue, when Dr. Spencer became ill, was really ready in the city to take this kind of patient. And in, in one, uh, one of the hospitals around the country, 1-800-223-9797. Let's go to Ariana right now. Ariana, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hello. Hi, Ariana. Please turn your radio down in the ba- in the background. And you, do you have a question? Yes, I do. Um, g- good good morning. My name's Ariana Diaz. I'm from New York. My question is: um, Are there different kinds of stages of Ebola? What do you mean, different kinds of stages? Like, ha- um, like, do you get like the first stage? Um, will it be like you bleed from every part of your body, and the second stage it it, it becomes more advanced? Okay, good question, Ariana. Let's get the stages with Dr. Dr. Samadhi can break that down for us. Thank you so much. 1-800-223-9797. Do you have a question about Ebola? Now's your chance to get it answered. What about the stages? Because this is what people are talking about, bleeding from the eyeballs, kind of this yeah. horrendous scenario. So it's a great question, Ariana. And, and the way this would, uh, virus works is actually the first few days, it's going to be all flu-like symptoms. You're going to have some body ache, fatigue, some mild fever, and that fever can go up. This 
This is a very, very smart virus. It's an RNA virus. It gets into the body. What does that mean, RNA it's, virus? It's a type of virus. We have different types, but this is a, it's a genetic component of this. What it does, it actually gets into the cell, and a piece of the virus takes over the cell, and from then on, it's going to take the cells as a hostage and then multiplies. And then that's when you start having some fever because your immune system is trying to fight it out. The fever goes up. The second phase of this is when they get sick. This is the time when you guys took Dr. Spencer right at the beginning when he started having fever, took them to Bellevue. That's when diarrhea, vomiting starts and projectile body fluid, which is contagious. And the final stage of this, Ariana, is when it's going to break the cells of the vessels and the people who start bleeding from urine, from eyeballs, from vessels, etc. The difference between what the EMS guys are doing and also the nurses, and I also want to compliment the nurses, the EMS role is absolutely important, but they're catching them when they're just about to start having the symptoms. Fever goes up, these guys are there, take the doctor to Bellevue. The nurses' roles are much harder because that's when they're dealing with the second phase and the third phase. That's when all these projected the body fluid is there. They're exposed to sicker patients as opposed to the first spectrum of where the guys are. And that's why we need to protect our nurses in a huge way, whether it's going to be all of these protective gears. Let me also say that I got a news from, of course, I work at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City, which is part of North Shore LIJ. And the CEO of this healthcare system is very proactive. Michael Dowling is visionary, has 18 hospitals. And I don't know if you know this or not, they just dedicated Glencove Hospital as one of the places that the Ebola treatment center is going to be. No other healthcare system has ever done this. CDC just made a visit. They, they, they surpassed all the expectations. And that's going back to what our good nurse just mentioned. Not every hospital should be treating this or equipped to do this. And so uh, more and more hospitals should be thinking, such as North Shore LIJ, no, and so it's, dedicated it's, centers. And so it's good that we have, the, we have the different centers. Israel, in terms of the training, you said, which is true, our, our first responders here in New York are used to dealing with all kinds of things mm-hmm. and and really we salute the work that your members do thank you you know every day that you usually don't get a thank you for but you know we're certainly glad when you show up and we make that call but was there in terms of specific training additional training in terms of dealing with any potential ebola cases well well first of all i like to say that um our members put their lives on the line every day over 4,000 times a day. And if you talk to one of these members and you say, why do you do this, this hashtag stuff? Because they don't get any extra compensation for this. <laughs> That's it's, true. It's because they really care about serving the public and they really love what they do for a living. All right, 1-800-223-9797. Let's go to uh, Bridget from New Jersey. Bridget, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. How are you? All right, how are um, you? You know... Hi, good, good, thank you. Um, you know, I have a, I don't know if it's a question or a statement, take it how you want it, but it's just so funny to me and uh, and weird that we have all these viruses just breaking out. First it was SARS, then it was the swine flu, then it was the avian flu. Now it's Ebola. What's going on that we can't get this under control? I mean, we have this guy, my husband works at Newark Airport. He's an environmental engineer. He happened to work that night when the, um, I, I'm not sure if he's a doctor or a journalist, he came in with his daughter and he was quarantined, taken off the plane, what have you. Why is it if this had been going on for weeks, had he not, coming out of that particular area, had he not been tested? 
why is it that we are still allowing people into the country on airplanes without some type of general testing either being done at the airport or being done beforehand. I mean, what's going on? All right, well, they do have... Thank you very much for the call. An excellent question. They are doing that temperature testing, but is that enough? Well, the temperature change, as we saw, it fluctuates. It's not accurate, and we've we've seen that even with the nurse who claimed that the temperature wasn't accurate, they let her go. And I think her point, the, the listener, is well taken. One of the reasons why we asked about banning the flights about a month ago, I was one of the first ones to ask it. It wasn't because we're cruel and we don't want to help them. We're sending our heroes over there to help these guys. But the bottom line is that there are a lot of mutations that's going on with these viruses. This Ebola virus, and one of the th- reasons why I said we need to d- deal with this virus with a lot of respect is because if you look at the history of Ebola in Africa, there's about 20 outbreaks. Each one of them is about like 200 cases, 100 fatality. It disappears and they can contain it. This one went out of control starting of December last year. And even World Health Organization admits that they called it very late in the game. They were six months behind. They didn't take this seriously because they thought this is going to be another small outbreak. And so in a big picture, when you have all these other viruses in the world, this wasn't the priority until it started to really come to Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone, the major cities. And because of the rituals that they have, washing the dead body is a huge factor because that's the cultural ritual absolutely that's when the body is so contagious and so they need to stop doing those rituals you know some of the things that they do is eating bush meat they get their protein from some of these dried monkeys and chimpanzees food and the bat which is the fruit bat that comes in and with the secretion brings the ebola virus and that comes it kind of jumps into the human body so you know right now we have uh, out of all the doctors without borders we have 700 people over there 233 of them are have died and they're coming back and of course like such 233 as, like, have died? died and you would think like that's oh. one of the reasons why i said if they're protecting themselves with all these personal gears well educated well trained there's got to be something a little bit more and i'm not trying to cause any panic or fear but let's prepare ourselves the way we're doing it in New York City, etc., so we defeat this. Her point is taken, that if we have some catching up to do, I think that we're waiting to see what numbers. The current number right now over there is about 14,000, and CDC is basically saying that there would be a lot more of these diagnoses in Africa, but controlling the borders, making sure that infected people are not coming here. Containment and isolation are the key words. And you know who did it better than anybody else? Uganda and Nigeria, they did an amazing job. They basically got one case, they contain it, and that's the end of it. And that has, uh, uh, that's how you treat this right, We're going to come back to that. I just want to uh, bring in right now Roger Milner from Metro Health Plus, one of our Hot 97 sponsors. And he just wants to let everybody know, we want to talk about, let everybody know that this is the open enrollment period, and that the Metro Plus is available to many people who are low income and cannot afford regular health insurance, and it's getting into that time of year, so That's we want fantastic. to let people know about this. Roger Milner, Metro Plus Deputy Executive Director, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Good morning, Lisa. Thank you. Good morning. Now, Roger, what does this open enrollment mean, and when is this happening? So this is the second year for the open enrollment of the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. the Obamacare. And it's very important for people to know that if they're interested in signing up this year, open enrollment begins November 15, 2014, and will run until February 15, 2015. And that's for anybody who wants to sign up. 
also is important for anybody who had health insurance through the exchange last year, they would have to renew their coverage by the 20th of December in order to continue to have coverage for January 1st. So it's very important for people to uh, renew if they were in last year or to sign up if they missed open enrollment last year and they want to get in this year. All right. Who is eligible for Metro Health Plus? Because you, for Metro Plus, because you also work through the New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation and have various programs, especially for low-income residents. Yes. So just like last year, anybody who uh, wants to enroll, they can enroll into Medicaid and Child Plus anytime during the year. The open enrollment periods don't affect anybody who is eligible for Medicaid or Child Plus. However, anybody who was not eligible for one of those two government programs and they truly had to buy insurance, they only have that window of time to do it during the exchange period of time. In addition, if anybody's undocumented, HHC, Health and Hospital Corporation, has programs called HHC options for people who are undocumented and can't get insurance through the exchange. All right. And then what are the benefits that, that you can give people through Metro Plus that they might not be able to get from somebody else? Well, some of the great advantages of, you know, reasons to stay with Metro Plus if you chose it last year or you're interested in picking it this year, we're one of the few plans that offer the additional dental and vision riders in our non-standard plan on the exchange, and that was very beneficial last year, which was one of the reasons why many people chose Metro Plus, because they wanted to get that additional dental and vision package, which is not part of the standard um, Affordable Care Act basic uh, uh, benefits. We also have reps who speak multiple languages. One of the challenges that the state admitted uh, this year was that they didn't really address cultural competencies too well, and Metro Plus has marketing representatives who speak over 100 different languages, so we're well prepared to deal with people who, who need that additional assistance. Um, we have the ability to pay online. If anybody wants to pay their premiums, um, it was very difficult last year with some particular health plans, but Metro Plus offers several ways to pay, particularly our online bill payment. We expanded our network this year and added four additional hospitals to our network and over 200 additional community primary care doctors. And, Roger, for people who want more information, what's the best way for them to access that? Well, there's several ways, Lisa. People can call our customer service department at 1-855-809-4073. They can also visit us on our website at www.metroplus.org, and they can find where there's a marketplace facilitated enroller that can assist them or convenient locations to go and enroll or renew. All right, Roger Milner, uh, Deputy Executive Director for Metro Plus, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. I'm going to get to the phone lines, Carter, Ruth, Tracy, everybody that's hanging on. And while we take the break, text your family and friends because we're streaming this show live around the country on Hot97.com. And listen this weekend to win tickets to see Wendy Williams, How You Laughing, along with our very own Cypher Sounds, NJ Pack on November 15th. You know that's going to be a great, great show. Plus, you get to meet Wendy backstage before the show. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. I'm Lisa Evers, at Lisa Evers on Twitter, at Lisa Evers Live on Instagram, Hot 97 Street Soldiers, Ebola. If you have a question about it, 1-800-223-9797. Or maybe you want to sound off on this whole issue of quarantine. Should the quarantine policy be uniform? Do we need to tighten that up? What do you think about that? 1-800-223-9797. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up, people? This is Common, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 9-7. People, baby. Only on Hot 97, and we're streaming the show live around the country on Hot97.com. I'm Lisa Evers, your host, at Lisa Evers on Twitter, at Lisa Evers Live 
on Instagram. We're talking about Ebola. If you have a question for our guest, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Or comment. Maybe you want to talk about the uh, quarantine issues for people arriving here from the Ebola hot zones or people who've had contact with patients there. Let us know what you think. 1-800-223-9797. Joining us in studio, Dr. David Samadi. He's with Fox News Medical A-Team. He's chairman of urology at Lenox Hill Hospital. Israel Miranda, he's the president of the EMS Union, the uniformed FDNY paramedics and EMTs. We also have with us Michael Sullivan. He's a New York City paramedic and part of that team that safely transported Dr. Craig Spencer from his uh, apartment to Bellevue Hospital. He's the one confirmed Ebola patient in New York City right now, according to the health commissioner. Also with us, Lisa Baum. She's with the New York State Nurses Association. She's their occupational health and safety rep. And Israel, we just wanted to touch a little bit further on the training for the paramedics. Uh, Yes. um, Like like I said, we have 31 units that will answer the bell on any given call when it comes to fever travel. But uh, the fire department is in the process of training all his members. Uh, they purchased about 5,000 suits and put another order for about 30,000. They also ordered 100 uh, fever guns where members can check somebody's temperature from a distance. That'll be given to the hashtag units. I want to uh, commend Fire Commissioner Dan Nigro for being inclusive with the unions, putting these policies together. Obviously, he cares about the employees that he has under him, and protecting the public. And listening to the workers. And listening to the workers is something that some of the nurses have issues with, Lisa Baum. Is there enough protection for the nurses? We heard Dr. Samadhi say that you all have the most contact with these patients at the most critical and dangerous times. That's absolutely true. And the federal government has not stepped up to the plate on worker protection in this country in this crisis. The Centers for Disease Control guidelines, we believe, are completely inadequate for best protection practices for the nurses who are treating these patients. Uh, We believe in the precautionary principle. That means you use the highest level of protection possible. And while Bellevue Hospital, uh, Emory, and Nebraska are, we believe, adequately protecting their staff, uh, other hospitals are not. And we saw what happened at Texas Presbyterian. We are strongly working with other unions throughout the country, included, including National Nurses United, to demand a presidential mandate that requires hospitals to best protect workers in this difficult situation. No, I think they, there's a lot more that needs to be, and I want to, I want to bring in a phone call on that point as well. Let's go to Carter right now from New York. Carter, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, I have a question. Um, as a flight attendant, how can I protect myself from Ebola? Right, because you're there, you're in close proximity to people, and you're you're serving them, and you're you know you're, you're in very tight quarters with them. Let me ask right. Dr. Samadi about that, Carter. Thank you so much for the call. Well, that's a very interesting question because I talked about it last week, and I said we need to make sure not just to cover anybody who is taking care of the public, from firefighters, doctors, nurses, and also the pilot, because you guys are exposed to this. And let's say in the plane, right, you have someone who is going to the bathroom and vomit, and it just happens to be contaminated. We need to be putting in place. But it's going to be the flight attendant that's going to have to clean that up. That's exactly right. And at the time, what they need to do is to have some sort of like a isolation curtain, move all the passengers to front or the back, wherever it is, to isolate them from that area. 
bring in a very, like, you know, shield and cover quickly until the plane lands immediately. There should also be some uh, of these personal gears, protective gears, on the plane just in case they need to do. But one of the things that we need to also talk about is how do we really safety uh, protect these guys? If you see any kind of spillage, obviously you need to make sure that you have gloves on. You need to make sure that you cover this. The first thing you see, if let's say it like, has any kind of like bodily fluid, is to cover that with some sort of a towel, not to touch it with any now gloves. With pla- what about like a plastic garbage bag? Whatever or you can to cover it so it doesn't like really become, you know, expose other people. That's the way to do it. You, then you make sure if there's any exposure, if you have bleach or any kind of decontaminant in the area, to make sure that you bleach that whole area. Bleach actually kills this virus. Um, and, and then, obviously, once you gear up and you have your protection, you have the mask and everything else, to put it in a double one of those red bags that's recommended by CDC and be able to get rid of this. The All biohazard. you want to do as a pilot is to bring the plane down without exposing well, too these many are, people. These are, the flight at- right. these are the flight attendants. Exactly right. And they're the ones that are right there with the people as these things are happening. So you're saying glove- they need to have gloves? The, any tight guys? Any- look, the same thing that we did, Lisa, with right. SARS. Every passenger and also the pilots had exposure to these masks. They were wearing these special masks. So we need to put the same exact you know, uh, guidelines for the pilots and flight attendants. This goes well. back to the issue of national mandates. There need to be protocols set by the government for what needs to be done in these situations, and they need to be best protective of passengers on planes as well as the workers on planes. Okay, and, and in terms of the big picture, but Israel, in terms of some practical advice, because yes. like this like this caller, Carter, the flight attendant, uh, we have I, people that are building cleaners that are working in schools or working in a lot of public facilities and public places. I, I, would, I would recommend that the best way to deal with this issue right now, you need to educate, train, and then equip. In that order. And I also think for the airline uh, attendants and stuff like that, that there should be some kind of screening from those countries when these people get on the plane to make sure that they don't meet that fever travel criteria before they even get on the plane. Well, the problem, Israel, is that they get in, and we've had cases of people, including Spencer and others, that have come. Screening over there is perfectly fine. They're, they're fine. Then they stay in Brussels for about two days or a day or so in order to transit. And during that time, they can get sick. So this whole fever situation, we saw it with Amber, the nurse who got into the plane. It was 99.5. Short flight later, it was 100.5. So I think going back to what Lisa was saying, our, our nurse, is that there's there should be better screening. We need to really like tighten it up. And the good news is that hey, for the last week, at least we haven't had any bad news in no, New York exactly. City. No, exactly. Let me let so me bring uh, let me bring in uh, let me bring in right now, Professor uh, Vincent Rasaniello. And uh, Professor Vincent, am I saying your name correctly? Is it Rasaniello or Rasaniello? It's Rasaniello with a hard C. Rasaniello. Okay, you are the professor of mi- microbiology and immunology at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, and maybe you could help us understand. There's a lot of talk about whether or not this Ebola virus can mutate and can change. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, let me first say I'm, I'm at Columbia University, not Mount Sinai, okay. and uh, the Ebola virus is no different from any other virus like influenza. It changes constantly. The real question is whether that change means anything. And so far, the changes that Ebola has undergone in West Africa don't mean anything in terms of the properties of the virus. So what is your prediction in terms of what will happen with this and with this, you know, with the epidemic in Africa? 
I, I would guess that at some point it's going to be controlled, uh, either by uh, restricting spread or perhaps a combination of vaccines and antivirals. And we will have learned something from this, uh, not to be so uh, complacent in the future about potentially dangerous viruses. All right, Professor, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Let me bring in uh, Donna Lieberman right now from the New York Civil Civil Liberties Union. We'll talk for a moment about the quarantines and the legality of these. Donna, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. We appreciate it. What do you think about the legality of the quarantines for the returning health workers? You know, it's um, uh, it. This is a, an example of how you know sound medicine and public health and civil liberties really converge. Um, you know, the, when it's necessary, when it's medically necessary to uh, impose a quarantine, well, that's okay. But when it's not medically necessary, it's important that the government undertake other um, methods that are less intrusive um, to protect the public health. We're all about protecting the public health and avoiding needless um, uh, infringements on people's liberties. And and so, so you know, the, the alternatives um, include active monitoring, you know, taking a person's temperature twice a day, doing it by a government official, that's totally fine. And, and what we've seen among the health workers is that they are, to a person, eager to um, uh, protect the public health. That's what their lives are all about. And, and but but so in, terms I, of the, in, terms of the, in terms of the legality, are you planning any challenges on some of these quarantines or the states say that they're within their rights to impose their own regulations? Well, you know, we're constantly monitoring the situation and, and working with government officials to ensure that people who are not contagious are not unnecessarily subjected to quarantine, and people who are contagious get the help that they need um, medically. And and you know we're, we're hopeful that that you know what our, what the city has been saying, which is that it will be driven by uh, public health and not by um, um, uh, other considerations, um, is really. Um, the way that, that, that New York City will go. And, and um, you know, we hope to be able to talk to the state about um, taking that approach as well. Uh, all right, great. Donna Lieberman, Executive Director of the New York Civil Liberties Union. Thank you so much for being with us. We have a ton of telephone calls. Dr. Smiley. Okay, what I want to say is that this virus is actually a moving target. And if you have 2 to 21 days for this guy to declare himself, a lot of this voluntary quarantine is not going to work. And we've seen it in Dr. Spencer where he was the night before on Wednesday. He was out there having fun and the next day he got sick. So we also have seen cameramen, a camera crew, Dr. Schneiderman, that came out for chicken soup. And when these attorneys get involved and talk about the civil right, always think about the civil right of the public. And this nurse who is making so much noise out there, I'm actually surprised the one that from a nurse Maine. like this who actually gets credit for being there, volunteering her time and gets A for that, comes in and makes so much ridiculous noise about how she needs to be out there with biking and whatever. This is not a behavior of a nurse. Something else is going on. And if she's going to end up with some reality TV and a book, I would be extremely disappointed. All she has but to it's do... It's looking like that could well, be the... you know something? But that's, that's because we're giving her so much time. All she has to do is to put public's interest ahead of her biking, even though the risk of her coming up with this disease could be very low, but she needs to put her own self-interest aside 
and think of other people. All right, let's go to the phones to and to all my public guests. Trust. And uh, to all my guests in studio, please feel free to jump in too. Let's go to Ioku from Brooklyn. Ioku, thanks for calling in. You're on Hot 97. Yes, hi. Good morning. I'm calling because um, I'm sitting down here and I'm listening to the, to the Ebola controversy, and I think that we're in the state of outrage. I feel that... Um, that no one is safe, and I don't understand how Ebola can actually come to our American people. Um, this is America, and I don't think that the, the questions that are being answered are being properly addressed in the, in the correct manner. I feel that, because um, I live in Brooklyn, you know, I'm in Brooklyn, and everywhere you turn, it's dirty, it's disgusting. I think that the Ebola virus is, is far beyond being clean or... Uh, or okay, um, well, there's, there's, a, there's a lot... <laughs> there's a I, would lot like, of... I would like to know what are the proper, um, the proper precautions to get around the whole Ebola virus. All right. Well, for, for, first of all, Brooklyn, there, there's many beautiful places in Brooklyn. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. But in, ter- in terms of the cleanliness, again, let's talk, let's talk about that because that's a concern. And remember what Dr. Bassett told us, the health commissioner, earlier in the show. There's one confirmed case. So we don't want right. to spread panic, but at the same time, we want to make sure everybody feels protected and has the right information. What about the, the cleanliness you talk about? Bleach kills it on surfaces. And also, you can take the, the whatever the, the tissue is, and you can boil it for about five minutes at a high degree temperature, um, and it will kill it. But I think her point, what she's trying to get out is, how the hell did this virus come to America? Yes. We had Everybody says that the likelihood of this virus coming to U.S. is low, and now you have all these people coming in. We have nine cases. One died. Why is this happening? And people want some sort of answer. And because the public trust of CDC is low, everybody is going to freak out if you don't take care of this. The fact that we're able to take care of these patients at the hospital, that's wonderful. We need to start taking care of our nurses and protect them. But her answer is, how the hell did this get to this country? And the answer to you is, we should have taken care of, taken care of this and isolate this disease in Africa and don't let it get out. When CDC says that there's 1.4 million uh, people are going to be diagnosed with this in January, you know, that's unacceptable. And that's the best way. We're sending a lot of soldiers, 4,000, a billion dollar later. Let's take care of this in Africa. Lisa? I think we need to bring some rational thought to this discussion. There have been almost no cases of Ebola in this country. We only have one current case in new york city two of those very few cases were nurses who were caring for a patient and had not been properly trained or properly protected okay, while doing very high risk procedures however then, then why then why this week those, did the defense secretary chuck hagel order a mandatory 21 day quarantine for the thousands of American troops that are in these I, West I'm African countries. I'm not going to comment on the, the quarantine, but I'd like to continue the discussion of the risk to the American public. The only people who have caught this disease in this country were the two nurses who were caring for the patient who got the disease in West Africa. We need to have some reason here. This is not a high risk for the American public. In fact, it's an extremely low risk to the American public. It's a very high risk to those who are caring for patients who have this disease. But Lisa, but one of those nurses, almost no risk to the American. You can okay, say that right. Lisa, you can say just, that right now. But one of those nurses got called the CDC, got on a plane. That's exactly right. But and no I think one I love- on that plane 
contract well, because because you be, but because you dodged the bullet a few That's times doesn't mean lucky. the bullet's not going to exactly hit you. Exactly right. So the, listen, I love the fact that everybody wants to bring calm and and there's also on my Facebook Dr. David Samadi. There's something like don't worry, be happy, and B is actually looks like a B. Every time somebody says, let me bring some science and let me bring some rationale to this, I love that. We know that the, it's not going to be a huge epidemic in this country because our healthcare system is much better than in Africa. What public want to know is what's coming up in the next few weeks, where are we headed, and if you're going to have some people coming here, and just because we got lucky and we didn't spread this yet, it doesn't mean that it won't be there. This okay, is not that, to start we got any question. fear or panic. No, but people, you have to be prepared. That's exactly right. And if right. you're prepared, it's less likely than anything And by the way, there's bad. not a lot of science when it comes to this huge epidemic the way it is. Okay, I want to talk about that in a minute, but let's go to uh, Sharamar from Middletown, New York. Is it Sharamar? My name is Shalimar. Oh, Shalimar. Okay, sorry about that. Now, you're a nurse? I'm a nurse and I'm a phlebotomist. I have two jobs. Okay, explain what a phlebotomist is to people here. Uh, A phlebotomist is someone who goes in and draws blood. Okay. So tell so obviously so you, and you, you visit patients in their homes? I actually visit patients in the nursing home. All right. And what are your concerns? My concern is, is I'm I'm not really so concerned about patients in the nursing home because they don't they don't travel. You know, I work with a lot of dementia and That's so right. they they don't travel back and forth. I also, my second job is I'm a nurse over at a rheumatologist office. And we get a lot of patients who travel uh, seasonally. They're here for six months, and then they go someplace else for six months where it's warmer. It's better for their condition. My thing is is that if I have a patient that comes in and I'm triaging them, and they all of a sudden vomit, I, I hear that you guys are saying that bleach will kill on the surface. But how do I protect that patient and me uh, from spreading it to other patients who are either in the waiting room yeah, or my look, by the time they come to you and they're vomiting or they have diarrhea, they're going to be very sick. So it's very rare to see somebody walk around in the streets of New York City just vomiting Ebola virus so that you, I wouldn't be concerned about. But what I want you to do as a nurse, and that's what I do in my office and a lot of healthcare workers, is make sure you ask about the history, travel history to any of these countries. That's important. And, and people need to relax and be calm and answer the question in my own office i had a patient that uh i I asked the question i said is there any like recent history to liberia or any of this and he was african-american and he took it so personally as if like it's like a racial question you're asking right okay the department of health in both the state and the city are putting in place protocols with recommendations to doctors offices and clinics for questions that should be asked of every patient, it should be done in a uniform manner to clarify travel history. If there is no travel history to Liberia, Guinea, or Sierra Leone within the last 21 days, there is no risk of this disease. If the okay. patient answers positively to that travel history, then that needs to be taken into consideration along with symptoms, and your employer should have a procedure in place for how to handle those cases. All right, Israel. Yeah. The, the the issue of the questions and to address Shalimar's concern, that's something also that's part of the training yeah, for, for yes, EMS sir. right now. Like Tell us I about said that. Earlier, like I said earlier, education and training are the most important components, not just for rescue workers or first responders or nurses, but we also need to educate the public. 
If the public is educated, right. well, that's why we're doing the show. Won't panic. That's a, exactly. that's the whole purpose of exactly. this. But the asking the question, the 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 risk factors are somebody that's been in the in those countries within the last twenty one days. That right? is correct, and that is exhibiting symptoms. Exactly. Okay, let's uh, take some more phone calls. Let's go to uh, Ruth from Connecticut right now. Ruth, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? All right, how are you? Thanks for hanging on for so long. Uh, that's okay. Um, I want to ask a couple questions. First of all. Everybody's flipping out about this Ebola, airborne, and I know it's not airborne, which I'm not concerned about. Uh, my concern is, ain't the Ebola coming from, um, like, animals, like monkeys, fruit bats, just like the swine flu, the NH- NH1? It's just the same thing as Ebola. You could throw up. You can get sick from it. Um, my question is, why is everybody panicking about this Ebola, and do you have a cure? The reason why people are panicking is exactly the last sentence that there's no cure, there's no vaccine for it, it has a 70% lethality, and and also this virus is now behaving a little different, and because it got to the major cities in Africa, the numbers are escalating, and we are a little bit behind, and we're trying to protect the public by educating them. All these protocols and guidelines that's coming from them, it's taking a long time, and because they change the guidelines every goddamn day, people are just pissed off about this well, this whole is, thing. This is what and people they are saying. Know. That's what they're saying. Like, you know, every day, every hospital in America can take care of these patients. The next day, is not everyone can take care of and, this. And this is, this is so, what we're hearing on Instagram. Emays 12 saying what needs to be addressed is how the CDC is not being honest with how the disease can spread. First, it's not airborne. Then it's airborne up to three feet. Then they we bring this guy Ebola. Truth. Listen, they bring this Ebola czar that nobody has ever heard of. And then you never see or hear from him except that Tom Freedom is hiding. The bottom line is, the answer to your question, it the host of this is fruit bat. Fruit bat brings a secretion to these ch- uh, chimpanzees and monkeys and deer meat. And also, once you consume that, some of those viruses can get to human. And then from then on, through sexual activity, blood, vomit, urine. It's In fact, again, one of the things I said is that when it comes to HIV, it's blood and semen. And now you have everybody fluid out there, including tear and, and urine, etc. And sneezing. So, so are we going to see a real epidemic go- in America? Probably not, because we are we have the best healthcare system. The best is to contain and isolate it early. And not, let, let, not let any more cases this, come in, right? This caller brings up a very good point. We have much more to fear. The American public has much more to fear from many, many other the flu virus, for example, and viruses. 20,000 deaths a year. Um, than Ebola. And, and again, we need to bring some reason to this concern. Except Let's other go. viruses. Lisa, flu, we have vaccines for. Antrovirus D68, which we're all concerned, and it's affecting some of the children in Denver, Colorado. It's a real deal. About like 10 million Americans are affected by antrovirus D68, but it goes away on its own. It doesn't kill so many people. When you have 5,000 people dead in Africa. That's a cause of concern. And if they're flight away from there to come to U.S., we need to prepare ourselves. We're behind. And that's why I said places like these hospitals, dedicated Ebola team, education, preparing ourselves as a way to go. Let me me bring in Daniel here. He's a father and he has some questions about children. Daniel, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. What's your question or comment for our guests? Thank you. I'm a father of of, of four young children that range in age from 2 to 11. My main concern is, I mean, we've seen the enterovirus. We've seen what influenza does. 
what kind of impact, you know, and how much more susceptible are younger children to the Ebola virus? And if there is a higher susceptibility, is there also a higher fatality rate? Okay, excellent question, Daniel. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Somebody, what about that? Are well, children I more th- susceptible? I, 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 well, the children's immune system is obviously not as strong. I think that, you know, that, that the, if they're exposed, that it, would be, it would be more difficult. We're very fortunate that this five-year-old kid that went to Ebo- um, Bellevue ended up Ebola negative. But, you know, look, the threat is to everybody. Again, the likelihood of seeing high volume numbers in the U.S. is low and a lot of pressure has slowed down some of these commutes coming from Let there. me just ask you real quick because I want to give Israel a chance to respond. You, you mentioned that it's been controlled in Uganda and in Nigeria, That's right. which were, were struck with it early. What did they do that was not done in Liberia? Well, they stopped all the flights out of Liberia and those areas. They're protecting themselves. One of the great uh, news that came out also, Canada stopped all the visas out of those. They understand that it's easier to take care of this. Look, America is sending 4,000 troops over there. God bless them. All these, we need to protect our people here. The public interest of this country goes ahead of all these other stuff that comes up. Well, the best way to control the spread of this disease worldwide is to control it in West Africa. And the only way to do well that is with money. This is a poverty issue. They do not have enough public health workers, and they do not have adequate conditions to treat these patients. That's why America is a great country. We should be all proud that out of all UN and all the countries all over the world, including including Europeans, Lisa, $1 billion, 4,000 troops are going there. Israelis are putting two hospitals over there, and this is, you know, this is all we have to do. Israel. Lisa, uh, I'd just like to say, uh, adding on to that, I think the people at most risk here are the responders that respond to this call, the nurses and the hospital staff. Um, To this father with his few kids, and I have kids myself, I feel what you're saying. And, you know, I think you really don't have much to worry about compared to the people that are going to be more exposed, like the first responders, the nurses and the doctors. Another thing I like to say to all the listeners out there, when you see a fire department ambulance out there, wave to them, say hello, because in your time of need... They will have your back. Absolutely. And then just and when to, you see the doctors out there, get them at Don Perignon. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, so some of the some of the safety measures that people can if if they feel better, you can clean with bleach because that's going to kill the virus. If pe- just for people to feel like they can do something cleaner, and then wearing gloves that cannot be rubber gloves that cannot be. I, I, I think at the hospitals we have healthcare workers. Oh, hand, that are wa- hand washing. Uh, you know, look, I think the public don't need to worry about taking care and handling this on their own. CDC is basically saying sending the team. Most hospitals that are designated are preparing for this. But if you see something that you are worried about, call CDC. It's also not a bad idea for your listeners to know that November is also known as Movember, which is a men's health. Getting a little off the topic. Make sure you go get tested your PSA and our office is always available to help all the firefighters, teachers, police officers and all Every, your listeners. Else. All right, um, Lisa, real quick, final word. A final word is that this is about infection control. Our hospitals should be prepared to handle this type of infection. We need to protect our healthcare workers, but the general public needs to worry about basic infection control. Flu season is starting. There isn't terovirus. Um, get get vaccinated. Use hand sanitizer follow basic infection control, but for workers who are at high risk, we need the government to step 
up and protect these very brave people who are protecting the public. And if you ever doubt that flu vaccine is the way to go, hair point is well taken. This is a year you want to make sure that you get your vaccine because we don't want people to come in with false alarm, high fever in the ER and confuse us. So I think your point is well taken. Get vaccinated for flu this year. And get, get the flu vaccine. Israel, any final word? Uh, no, I, I think this uh, was a very good forum. I'm glad, Lisa, and I, I thank uh, Hot 97 for putting this together. And um, I, I was honored to be here. Thank all you. All right. Well, I want to thank all, all of our guests for being with us. Uh, Dr. David Samadi, Fox News Medical 18, thank Chairman you, of Urology, Lenox Hill Hospital, Israel Miranda, President of the Uniformed FDNY Paramedics and EMTs, Lisa Baum, Occupational Health and Safety Rep with the New York State Nurses Association, and also guests that we heard from earlier, Donna Lieberman from the New York Civil Liberties Union, Roger Milner. Our sponsor, Metro Plus, uh, Dr. Mary Travis Bassett, the New York City Health Department Commissioner, and also our EMS, um, one of the paramedics that helped take Dr. Spencer to Bellevue, part of that team, Michael Sullivan. We appreciate all of your time, um, and thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. And if you're just tuning in and you missed some of the great information that's been given out throughout the course of the show, you can check out the free show audio, the podcast, on lisaevers.com. You can listen right there, uh, right after the show is over. And um, also, we want to say thank you to Fun Fusion for making this episode of Street Soldiers Hot, and congratulations to Khadijah Martin. She is this month's Fun Fusion Staycation winner. Like Fun Fusion's Facebook page for your chance to win. And like the Lisa Evers official Facebook page, too. We're posting a lot of pictures up there. So I want to say thank you to everyone here at Hot 97, my Street Soldiers team, our program director, Jay Dixon, our digital director, Jeffrey Thacker, our promotions director, Dom, our board op and digital assistant, TJ, uh, executive producer, Tone Capone, associate producers, Rose D, Rafaela, and uh, thank you very much for all your help getting this show together and getting it on the air. Follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. And uh, check me out on the Fox 5 News at 10 tonight, 5, 6, and 10 during the week. Now, if you want to be a part of this show, next weekend is, is Veterans Day weekend. We are looking for vets who are of the hip-hop generation who have recently come home or come home in the last couple of years from a tour of duty and want to come on and talk about their, their service, their sacrifice, and how they've adjusted to civilian life after serving in the military. So if that's you, please hit up Tone, Tone, the number four real at gmail.com, Tone, the number four real at gmail.com. You can hit me up, Lisa, at hot97.com. Lisa at Hot97.com, of course, Twitter and uh, Instagram at Lisa Evers Live. Have a great week. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace. WQHT.